Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What I've been watching now, we have a look at some films we've seen. Uh, you can finish whatever you're eating, by the way. <laughs> it's some ice, it was like ice from my drink, and it got, okay. it got like stuck on a sensitive tooth. Uh. And now you've just thrown me. I mean, do you want me to start again? Do you want me to leave yes, this please. in? <laughs> no, you can start <laughs> again. Leave this in if you want. This is all gold. No, no, no that's all right. Sure? I appreciate it. Yep. All yep. right, fine. I miss out on this gold. That's fine. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Tony Black. Hello. As we avoid the Beauty and the Beast film, but we will be reviewing Get Out later amongst all the other stuff we usually do. The first off is a quiz. It's one all, I think, and I'm asking questions, Owen, against Tony. Mm-hmm. I've gone for a quiz themed around adaptations of animated movies or vice versa animated versions of live action stuff are we are we going to be able to follow this it doesn't sound like you're sure yes. of what the quiz is even about <laughs> no no it's about fine. Films. yes yes definitely about films so yeah. it's all multiple choice first question is obviously this year now pretty much we've got a remake of the anime ghost in the shell starring scarlett johansson but when was the original anime movie of ghost in the shell released was it 1993 1995 or 1997 who i i know this so tony you can go first i i see i don't i don't know the original but immediately for some reason 1995 leapt out so i'm gonna go with that yeah yes it is 95 yeah you're both you're both right 1995 (laughs) um in the 2002 movie adaptation of scooby-doo who played Fred? Was it <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr., James Masters, or Jason Priestley? <laughs> Who, what the? F- um, I do know this one actually. Okay, yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, uh, James Masters, Spotlight from Buffy. In other words, Tony, I, your your guess. I think it was Freddie Prince Jr. It was Freddie Prince uh, Jr. Uh, my Scooby-Doo remake film <laughs> knowledge is unrivaled. I, yeah, I even know who played, um, what's his name? The other guy. No, not other that unrivaled then, perhaps. <laughs> Shaggy. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Shaggy? Scooby. Yeah. Yeah. Sco- yeah. Matthew Lillard from Scream. Oh, right. There you go. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't the question. Fancy it anyway. Um, 
<laughs> Which of these is not a live action movie in the making? Uh, a film about Tinkerbell, a film about uh, the genie from Aladdin, or a film about the Little Mermaid? I would assume the genie. I'm go- I'm going to say Little Mermaid. Tony is correct. Is the Little Mermaid? Ah, <sighs> I was a guess. Yeah. They are uh, apparently looking to, definitely looking to make a, a Tinkerbell film, and they are also looking to make a film about genies featuring the genie from Aladdin to lead oh. into a live action Aladdin remake. Hmm. So that was a, a noise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely can't argue that. It was a noise. <laughs> so it's. it's Tony two oh and one two questions left. Who voiced Hot Rod in the animated Transformers movie? Was it Orson Welles, Judd Nelson, or Peter Cullen? Uh, oh, should God. know this. It's it's not Orson Welles because he mm. was um, the fucking planet thing. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm, I'm the chrono. I'm chrono. I don't know. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, something oh. like that, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, I know Peter Cullen's associated with Transformers, but I can't think for who who the character is he plays. Uh, uh, I'll go for Judd Nelson, just because yeah. Peter Cullen's probably someone bigger. Yeah, I'll do the same, because I'm sure Peter Cullen is Optimus Prime, unless mm. that's just the fact he voices Optimus Prime now. Because I know he voices Optimus Prime now, and he didn't then. But oh yeah, Judd Nelson. (sighs) You're you're both right with Judd Nelson. Oh, that's lucky. And it's gone from strength to strength for for him. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's what we talk about. Mm. Uh, And uh, so final question, we'll be two, one, two, Tony. Uh, The 1980 Robin Williams Popeye movie grossed how much worldwide? (laughs) Sixty million dollars, sixty-five million dollars, or seventy million dollars. Oh God! Oh, I'll just say seventy. I haven't got a clue. I'll go with sixty-five. You're both wrong. It was just sixty million dollars, but <laughs> that means that Tony wins this round of the quiz. Therefore, <sighs> I win this round of the quiz. Therefore, next week, Owen. Yeah, I could. Uh, Who's who's on next week? Who's going to be representing me next week? I think it's Brian or Callum who's on next week. So, oh, Callum representing me would be good for a quiz. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move away from the quiz and we'll go on to the news. Again, another quiet week in the world of film. Not much happening except about a million reboots and remakes in the work. But uh, Tandy Newton of Westworld. I'm right there, aren't I, Tony? I've not yeah, seen I'm Westworld. And Mission Impossible 2 and other things. Oh, that Tandy. Yes. I haven't got a fucking clue. <laughs> yes, anyway. She has she has come out with a claim that UK television doesn't have many diverse roles because all we do is make period dramas, which is... The BBC do do a lot of them. I mean, Channel 4 uh, do do quite a varied lot of programming, but... What, do they, what does she mean by period dramas? Because, I mean, like... Like Pride and Prejudice and stuff. Have, have there been many of those lately? Well, actually, no, but I suppose if you think about stuff like Taboo, then that's set further further back in time and... Well, that's late 1700s, isn't it? Yeah. So if you, if you think about it, then 
if all these things are set at different places in the UK and they aren't set so much in the modern day, then it is a less diverse place. So to make it realistic, you're not going to cast that diverse a role. So the so the issue perhaps isn't casting Mm. and and casting. It's more the content. I see. Yeah. So if if we had stuff set more in the modern day or the future, because Doctor Who goes a bit diverse, isn't it, with the companions and things? So you know, then you've got more scope to do it. But if you're setting something in Victorian England with people with big umbrellas and big dresses and stuff, mm-hmm. then you know, you know, kind, you know, or or even stuff like Downton Abbey. Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a bit hesitant to say any of these are excluding black actors or characters from their stuff because some of these I haven't seen. So I think it would just be a bit ignorant of me to sort of weigh in here and say yeah how dare Downton Abbey not cre- create these roles when it might be doing that and I just don't know and I'm just assuming yeah I mean but from, from what I know if the the majority of the cast in the Downton Abbey isn't that diverse mm-hmm. and because of when it's set and where it's set historically that it wouldn't have been that diverse a place yeah so it's, so it's, have, so it's yeah. accurate if you were to just cast people for the sake of it or, or to tick boxes, it would perhaps ruin the, I don't know if you can ruin Downton Abbey, but it's very popular, <laughs> but you know, it would, it would make it, yeah. you know, take I, you out of it a bit. I think kind, kind of slightly moving away from what her point is, if I'm reading it correctly, is that not so much that why aren't there any black actors in the period dramas? It's why are they not, creating things other than these period dramas yeah. right so it's not like she's saying that they they've not forced unlikely characters into situations just for positive discrimination i think she's saying that they're not why aren't they creating shows with these characters in anyway yeah yeah so um i guess then i mean i was just thinking of um something i watched quite recently which was on bbc which they did a uh, 1066 um, the Battle of Hastings, um, kind of a dramatised documentary of it. Yeah. And there was um, one black actor in it, which at first you thought, that's a bit odd, because would there have been a black like um, messenger who would work quite closely with William the Conqueror? And then part of me thought, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's a dramatisation. Could be yeah. any, could be anything. Could have been a, you know, a black disabled lesbian. It doesn't doesn't really change yeah, anything. Yeah, the, extra, the extras turned up for that job, and they just can't turn him away <laughs> because of all the problems it will lead to for the HR department. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, wow, sure. we're, gonna, we're gonna have to go along with this now, aren't we? You can't, you can't turn him away. It's gonna, it's gonna look awful if we get rid of him. <laughs> It's just just try and put him in the back of the scene, and maybe no one will notice. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, but um, I mean, that was a period drama, and that kind of uh, they did stand out initially, and then it didn't really matter because they were quite decent and all the rest of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of other other things that BBC have have done. I mean, I don't think I think that she's probably got a point in that Lenny Henry, for example, has been banging on about this for a long time now. 
Um, and I think he's either finished or he's in the middle of studying a PhD in London uh, about this, about the role of, of black actors um, and characters in modern media and programmes. Yeah. And I think some of the stuff that he comes out with, I'm trying to, I read something of his like a few months back and it was quite interesting actually, because it talked about how it's, it's still underrepresented in national media, like things such as this 1066. I'm not accusing this, this program of doing that. I'm just saying like in this, this program, there is a character who's introduced who is black where he isn't culturally black. It's just the part of, bringing through that whereas what i think some of the issue uh has been is that they're still effectively playing white people they just happen to be black actors there's there's still not the characters who are there um and it's kind of like to to exist in this world you have to just become white which isn't fair really you know there there should be a, a a place for um for these characters, culturally black characters, to exist as well. Yeah, can I can I can I make a side point with this mm-hmm. in that perhaps looking at it, 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 it this in a different perspective, maybe the issue isn't that we don't have the actors. Maybe the problem is that we don't have the black writers and directors who That's are it. creating these kind of shows that would do this. I mean, if, if you look at the BBC, the BBC is a horrendously white middle class organisation. And, and and a lot of these networks, a lot of British networks are. I think you don't have the opportunity on that side of the fence because, you know, the, the, it's not to say that a black person can only play a black cultural role. No, no, of course that's, not. No. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it, there there is an element of that if, I think if you had more people who are black coming through and creating these roles naturally as they would do mm-hmm. whether irrespective of whether it was about black culture or not i think you would find the black act the black actors were there you know because you, you you find you know there's some really good ones who, who, who rise out the ranks or, or are doing theater here and there and oddly enough the one thing that i think they that the the distinction doesn't seem to matter as much is shakespeare mm-hmm. you know you find it with like things like othello exactly you yeah. know and because Shakespeare is of, of such an age, even though obviously, you know, back then you probably wouldn't have had particularly much representation, but the because it's a different kind of, it's its own genre, effectively. Mm-hmm. It's not about the, the colour in, in the sense, even though Othello, you could argue, is. Well, my point is that you, you've got, I think that's part of the problem here. And I think until they address that as well, this isn't going to change because I, I think she's got a point really, but certainly for women as well. Cause you seem to find a lot less black, strong female you know, actresses mm. coming through. Now. Maybe, maybe, well, well, she, maybe when she's just been over here working or whatever she's been doing, she's just had a TV in the hotel stuck on ITV three and just watched all those shit old programs that are on there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all she knows. Well, this is all that's on British TV. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this also is quite interesting because it ties into something that, um, Samuel L. Jackson said recently, we, I mean, cause I made review. It wasn't that clip that I saw of him the other day that, um, I think it's quite old actually. So it obviously wasn't that I'm just working in a joke where the, the <laughs> presenter, um, mistook him for Lawrence Fishburne. Oh uh, yeah. For oh, Lawrence yeah. Fishburne was him in an advert and he just wouldn't drop it. Yeah. He just wouldn't let it go. He's like, because we sound the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but what I was going to say was about Samuel L. Jackson, 
who uh, I haven't got a direct quote from him. I should have dragged this up before we started could've, talking could've about it. Yeah, I could have, could have, could have spoken to his representatives, <laughs> and they would have told me to get stuffed. Get out. He <laughs> <laughs> basically Samuel L. Jackson said in words to this effect that there were um, that the roles in black American films or films in America with the culturally black American characters are frequently being subsumed and taken over by black British actors. And he thinks, from what I gather, that they should go to black American actors instead. And not like Chiwetelogia for 12 Years a Slave, for example. Mm. Um, and we've just seen um, in, in Get Out with uh, Daniel Kaloya, who's, who's the star of that, playing effectively, again, just like a culturally black American character. Isn't this just an extension of the complaints we've had recently when uh, people have been cast in roles as like Native Americans or mm-hmm. um, like um, you know people from like Pacific Islands and they're not actually from there; they just look like they could be. I guess in a way it sort of is. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, but I guess what it comes down to is if you're an actor, you take the interesting roles, don't you? Yeah. You don't look for the roles where you think, okay, I'm, okay, I'm a thirty-year-old white British guy. I think what I'd like to play in every single thing I do is a working-class white thirty-year-old guy. You want to choose different well, roles, well, right? Well, for Danny Dyer, it's, <laughs> he's earned a <laughs> career out of it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, but but what I'm getting at is, you, as an actor, from their perspective, they're going, well, no, we're not going to turn down roles. Or not audition for roles that we shouldn't, quote unquote, have. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it? When does this specific complaint stop? Because in in Star Wars: Force Awakens, you've got John Boyega, who's a a British black actor, but he's putting on a very American accent Mm -hmm. because they said they tried it with a British accent, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But then it's set in space; they could just go, "Well, that's a space accent from his planet." Mm-hmm. But, you know, you see what I mean? He's very obviously putting on an American accent. In Samuel Jackson's mind, he could have just gotten for an American guy. If he wants to have an American accent. I think that's slightly more to do with character. In terms of, like, particularly stuff like fantasy things, right? If you've got an English accent, you're a wise person. Whereas John Boyega's character isn't necessarily wise and will sound more... It, no, it, bit, for want of a, a better of a word, in it, yeah, times. exactly. He will sound like a Wally if he talks in an American accent. Whereas if he was British, people wouldn't believe that he was a bit. Just think he was Obi Wan Kenobi straight away. Yeah, there would be some kind. Of, maybe yeah, they just think it would it would give his character different. I'm going off track again, I think slightly, but um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the roles. Again, it, what I always come back to, and I always feel uncomfortable having these conversations, is what the fuck do I know anyway? <laughs> you know, <laughs> about any of this. All I know is, like, you you read into what other people have said. So I've got no personal experience of this. I don't know how tough it is for British actors to find work in Britain and whether they have, they're forced to go looking for roles in America where there's more opportunity. I don't know. I don't know. I just literally haven't a clue. I just... Um, make up shit on a podcast there we go so we we found out from this segment of news that we don't know we don't know we don't know can't provide any answers we just don't know 
But it is interesting, I think, to have the discussion. Yeah. Same. Yes. What we've been watching now, we take a look at films we've seen in the last seven days that weren't necessarily new releases. Actually, only about four days, isn't it? Yeah, did we record last Thursday? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It throws (laughs) you a bit, because you think, oh, I did a podcast on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you're a week between them, it just knocks you, doesn't it? You just think, yeah, it's far too soon to be doing another one. But for people I've got listening, I've got Owen again for another. It's too soon. Uh, too soon. Yeah. <laughs> for people who no, just think of the long break you'll have now, then with a full seven days. Yeah. You got that to look forward to. Mm. But people listening, of course, they this the last episode only went out on the Friday, so this one I don't think is going to go out till Thursday or Friday again. So for them, it's okay. For them, it's fine. They've had the distance, <laughs> mm. yeah. They've had enough time between us yeah. talking to get over and it. And they're still coming back. Well, for, don't speak too soon. For, for, your review, <laughs> for your review, Owen, of? For my review of Carnage, Swallowing the Past. Have either of you two heard of this? It's Simon Amstel's nope. mockumentary. I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, so Simon Amstel, um, who I guess... What, what do you think people will know him from? I know him from Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Dan T4. Yeah, he did Pop... Pop World? World? Yeah. yeah. He was quite good on that because he just he didn't really mind upsetting no, he just... celebrities or asking them funny questions and whatever. Exactly. Or just yeah. being a bit, you know, whatever with them. So. Yeah. He also did um, Grandma's House, which was one of these dark comedies, a dramedy. Uh, for BBC. Uh, but anyway, him, Simon Amstel, he has made a mockumentary, which is, was picked up by BBC exclusively, actually. It's on iPlayer at the moment. The premise is that it's the year 2067 and the UK is completely vegan. <laughs> like meat and dairy are just outlawed. And so it's a kind of retrospective look back at how the UK got to that state. Uh, it is a comedy as well. I'll just throw that in there. Uh, it basically starts with some teens, who teenagers who are just sat around struggling to imagine a world where people ate animals. And they kind of equate it to eating babies. Like, you can't imagine how their granddad ate babies and stuff like that. So uh, they also refer to things like the rape of cows for their milk um, and stealing chicken's eggs uh, and making sheep unhappy. Stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not sure if it is an actual satire. I had this conversation uh, with my wife. We watched it together, and I couldn't I couldn't decide if it's a satire or if it just is a sort of light-hearted poke. Um, I think it started out as a the the idea of it started out as like a manifesto for Simon Anstall. Like that's what it was originally conceived as because he's a vegan um but i i just think it's it's too self-aware to be a complete 100% satirical look at stuff it's not be, it's not it's not judgmental in so much as it's there's a lot of poking fun at some of the ridiculous self-righteousness of vegans as well um it kind of mocks 
the smugness and the self-importance that's sometimes associated with, with people like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And to be perfectly frank, it doesn't really matter because it's, it is very funny. Uh, it's it's brilliant. It kind of meshes reality with fiction as it has to, because it looks back at our current past as well as what is our current future. Um, and so it ties all that together quite neatly. It tells it in a very chronological order, which is quite helpful as well. Um, it is a touch pre- preachy. It's also horrifically sinister. Um I, like I mentioned, I watched it with my wife, Elisa, my wife. She is a vegetarian. Uh, I'm not, but she is. And I asked her afterwards what she thought of um, of this. And she just said, like, one word, which is basically she just went, it's distressing. And I think it kind of is distressing. It, because it mixes this real archive footage of, like, livestock being slaughtered and butchered with clips of Hugh Fernley, Whittingstall, Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay being and it, the way it uses those clips as well which is sort of out of context um it's just actually it's got it's got very funny very dark humor that works really well uh, mixed with some of this distressing images uh, that just kind of chucked in at different points um like you know a pig being hung upside down and then just being bled and it's like it's only on there for about three seconds but it's the impact of it it kind of shocks you back into what you're watching, which is quite interesting because you wouldn't necessarily associate that with a comedy. Um, but there we go. Uh, and it is, I mean, it is, it is funny. It's properly hilarious because, you know, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall is just like Britain's smuggest man, I reckon. And it shows like it pokes fun about how he led this campaign to get people to eat less cod and then uh, to eat more mackerel instead. And then he backtracks over the over-farming of mackerel and fish and then releases a cookbook about how to cook fish, like, at the same time. And it's just like, that's real. That isn't, like, fake. And all the statistics it uses about farming and agriculture and stuff like that are apparently true. It uses all facts to, to sort of poke fun at the... Um, well, both the, the sort of vegans and, and the meat eaters and stuff um yeah i think when it's weakest is probably when it cr- tries to create these sympathetic characters who are supposed to have uh existed between now and the year 2067 and they're supposed to be the people who led the change in society but it doesn't quite succeed uh, because none of the characters are particularly likable and i don't think they're meant to be infallible or anything like that that they're, they're just a bit uninteresting like you don't really like them you don't detest them they're just kind of boring which is a shame um but simon amstel's narration in it is also hilarious like when he's just dryly uh poking fun at modern societies probably when the film's at its strongest so some of the lines i mean i really love the thought of nut cheese they're having a discussion about nut cheese. Someone says, what's that? He says, well, it's cheese made of nuts. It's just quite a funny line, quite a funny throwaway line. Some of the comments about Nigella Lawson looking like a lunatic to anyone for, like, from their normal person perspective. Or, like, there's a sheep in it. Like, they, they give animals a voice because there's technology to do that in the year 2067. And they use Joanna Lumley's voice to do it. So you get a sheep asking, why do you keep shaving me? 
which I think is quite a sort of silly part of the humour as well, because it is very silly um, in premise and concept and all that. I'll just sort of wrap up and say, I know that for some people it's going to rub them up the wrong way. Um, and I think it gets away with doing that for me because it's just very funny. James Smith is in it, who's otherwise known as uh, Glenn from Th- The Thick of It. And he steals the show as this kind of raving lunatic meat eater, like spouting stuff in a Britain first kind of way about meat eaters and sort of like, have you ever seen a fish cry and stuff like that? It's just quite funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it. I thought it was very funny. I'd, I'd say as mockumentaries go, they can be very hit and miss. The one that was on Netflix last year, um, Mascots, was very miss for me. This is a hit, I would say. It's still on iPlayer. I don't know how long they're going to keep it on iPlayer for. Um, but like I say, as they've got like exclusivity to it, I imagine it's going to be on there a while. So yeah, I recommend it. It's only about 70 minutes as well. So, you know, hardly consumes a huge amount of time. But worth a watch. Okay. Um, Tony, what have you seen? Uh, last time I was on, I was talking about how um, I'm slightly fascinated by the Geezer gangster movie, which y- you guys have talked about at various points, mainly with Paul Field is on. But uh, I thought I was I was just flicking through now TV and I happened to see um, a film a few a while ago called We Still Kill the Old Way, a title mm-hmm. I like, a title that's borrowed, I think, from a 60s exploitation film um i thought i quite liked it i quite i like the title and i th- i i looked at it and i thought i'll give this a try i'll give this a go um and i have to say i thoroughly enjoyed it it's basically it's by um produced by jonathan southcott who i know is a friend of the podcast um and uh yeah it's directed by sasha bennett who's done various uh films of this kind of ilk and this this was fun because it takes the premise of a street gang, a violent, horrible, urban, you know, London street gang. Uh, the kind of thing you'd, you'd seen in things like Eden Lake or Harry Brown. This, this film is basically like Harry Brown meets the craze, basically. That, that's essentially what it is. <laughs> well, okay. um, yeah. Because you've got this horrible little gang and then at the same time you've got the old, very sort of 60s, style east end gangsters who are now like 70 years old um who end up having to come back to london when um the brother of the basically years ago there were these two brothers the archer brothers and they were like the craze and uh played by stephen burkoff uh, who's always fun and even he's only in it for like five minutes but he's typically stephen burkoff going Aah! basically to the camera <laughs> um and he gets violently killed and then his brother, who's played by Ian Ogilvy, who used to be the saint when Roger Moore gave it up back in the day, mm-hmm. he comes back uh, from Spain and he's very suave, you know, suave and, you know, cockney, but he's, 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 he's a nice guy, but he's old. Um, and he, he, he brings back his old boys, who used to be the firm, in order to take out this horrible, horrible street gang and this particular young lad called Aaron who talks like this, you know, bruv, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, you scat, and all that kind of thing. It's a horrible sort of language and things like this. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a hoodie. You know, it, it's very cliche in that sense, but it, the thing, what I liked about it, and it's very low budget, and it's, you know, it's full of slightly creaky old actors, although it's it's got James Cosmo in it, who was in um, Trainspotting and Game of Thrones, and he just plays a character who just shouts all the time. <laughs> And he's great. He's he's clearly enjoying himself. And it's got randomly, it's got. Do you remember um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? 
yes. Do you remember? You remember the blonde, the the, the Nazi, the woman. How did you know she was a Nazi? She talks. Okay. She talks in her sleep. All that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she took. She's got her in it. She hasn't been on. She hasn't acted for like Alison Doody. I think her name is. She hasn't acted for like twenty years, thirty years, and she's in it randomly. So it's got all these random actors. But it, what I liked about it was that it, it knows it's it knows it's quite cartoonish and it knows it's quite silly, and it knows that it's playing on the idea of these these two very different worlds. Uh, coming together in a violent fashion. And it, it just has fun when all the old boys are together and they're torturing these young lads for information. They're just having a laugh, you know, and you can tell they're, they're just enjoying themselves as, they, as they're performing the roles. And in this idea that these old guys are going to basically teach these young whippersnappers a lesson. And it's it's quite fun to see. Plus the fact there's a great little... Um, suggested tie into the italian job which i thoroughly i thoroughly appreciated <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's like i say it's low budget it's it's not going to set the world alight some of the directions a bit ropey in places but yeah it's fun mm. so if, if you like if you want to if you want to it's only about an hour and 25 minutes so if you want a little bit of blast of um and it's not very bloody it's 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 oddly it's oddly bloodless for a for a gangster film, it's oddly it's got a lot of violence in it, but it's not like horrendous or horrific, really. So you mm-hmm. you know, um, so if you want to just go in there and have a bit of a chilled out, laid back laugh, you could do worse. And maybe I'll watch more of these gangster geezer films because I actually quite enjoyed this. So yeah, <laughs> maybe this is the start of the new love affair for me. I don't know. Oh. We're going to just end up as the, the failed critics geezer cast, I think. At some point. <laughs> That's the spin-off. We've, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, because we keep sort of accidentally stumbling on some of these occasionally that we go, that was all right. Quite enjoyed that. Yeah. And I keep adding them to my Netflix watch list. I mean, I very rarely get around to actually watching them, but I keep thinking, I'll give that one a go. I'll give that a, a try. You know, some of them turn out to be really good. I mean, Hyena from a couple of years ago is really good. It's kind of a bit more arty. Yeah. Than some. It's got Paddy Considine in it. Um, Neil Maskell's in it, I think. Okay. I don't know if Paddy Considine, Peter Ferdinando's in it. Um, I can't remember who some of the other people are, but has it got yeah. Burnside? Cause this has got Burnside. No, it doesn't have Burnside. Unfortunately. <laughs> or Ian Ogilvy, who I quite like. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's really good in this. I, I only watched him last week in Witchfinder General, actually. Yeah, because weird because he's in he's in uh, one of the things in this. He has a scene with Nicky Henson, who mm-hmm. and they were both in Witchfinder General together in like nineteen sixty whatever that was nineteen sixty nine or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they were on screen for the first time in this film since then, which is quite a cool little oh wow fact. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's right. Anyway, but like yeah yeah, it, yeah it, it's I like I like films that bring back all these old actors. And you see mm-hmm. the, these people come back. I just enjoy that kind of thing because I don't know. I'm a sucker for for like these quite sort of old star, old 60s, 70s actors who are still knocking about, coming on and doing things. So I yeah. think that was part of the charm of it for me, really. But um, but no, they're quite fun sometimes these things, and I, I am finding that. So yeah, I'm looking. There's a sequel coming called We We Still Steal the Old Way. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I think they've made now, and I think came out, or is coming out very soon. So I'm looking forward to that now. Funnily enough. Okay, I have seen a couple of things. I've seen Green Room first of all, which is a uh, what do you call it? It's not a horror, is it? 
it's a slasher thriller kind yeah kind of a i mean I, we had this discussion i think when um i think it was brooker was talking about it on here and he he said it's a horror i think because it is horrifying that you can class it as a horror however yeah i would say it's more thriller territory yeah it's, well. for me it's not a horror there's no supernatural element in it there's mm. no kind of you know who the the bad guys are all along it's, but then it's never, would you say never... something like texas chainsaw massacres a horror i would because it, it is I, I, yeah because it's scary it's it's scary horrifying or it's mm. yeah it's meant to be scary the green room isn't scary it's not horror there's some quite brutal moments and quite graphic moments but none of it's ever really horrifying or scary or anything like that so i'd say it's more a thriller or a maybe a slasher movie not so much um i, th- I think everyone else who's seen it i know seen it absolutely loves it you've seen it Owen, yes mm-hmm. yeah and you loved it first time round, i because i've watched it twice yeah. i watched it in the cinema and then i watched it again when it was added to um netflix uh, first time round, i came out to cinema and thought that was a lot that was a lot of fun in you know an odd sort of way yeah i enjoyed lots of things about it and i enjoyed it more than blue ruin which is the director's other film which isn't a bad film it's just completely different um but then it was only when i watched it again on netflix when i enjoyed it a lot more actually I think I got a lot more out of it the second time round because I'd had time to adjust to things like Sir Patrick Stewart as a Nazi skinhead. Yeah. You know, when you've had that time to <laughs> to get used to that thought um, rather than finding it a bit odd every time he's on screen. Yeah. It, it was much more enjoyable second time. Yeah. But I did like it a lot. It, definitely, it made it onto my top 10 of the year. I think it might have even been top five for me last year. Okay, I didn't quite like it as much as that. I, I don't know really. It had all the elements of a good film, um, <laughs> but I just, yeah, I wasn't ever gripped by it or excited by it or on edge of my seat or anything like that. Um, didn't really care much for any of the characters if they died or whatever. And I think what what was good about it though, in terms of the character, I mean, there's things like. You know Anton Yelchin's dead now yes. as well, right? So there's like watching it back now. Did that affect your opinion of him at all? Did it make you think that's weird to see him on screen like this when you know he's he's dead? Not really, no. So young, no. Okay, no. But I don't tend to think about things in that way anyway. Mm-hmm. I also quite liked how it it brought in um, Imogen Poots and, and Anton Yelchin together again. Yeah. I thought that was quite because they they were on screen together in um, Fright Night. Okay. And I thought they had very good chemistry in Fright Night, and it was quite cool to see them back on screen again. Yeah. And I thought they had they had very good chemistry in this. Yeah, um, I've also seen the 2016 Ghostbusters for the first time, so well behind everybody on that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, all the. Uh, controversy around it has obviously gone away now because it's been released, it's been out for a while and yeah I I don't get the big deal about it, the controversy, it's stupid the film's okay it's not great, it's not terrible it's watchable, there's a few laughs everyone does okay in it it looks quite good actually with the, the, you know, the ghosts and everything they look quite good um 
But yeah, mm. the whole thing about oh they're remaking Ghostbusters but with women. So it just sounds like so what? They're not. Yeah. They're not. Mm-hmm. They haven't. They did it in the right way. So they didn't recast it. They didn't just recreate the original and put a few spins on it. It's a completely standalone film. Um, the only similarities are that they they hunt ghosts. They've got they've got a Ghostbusters car and they live in an old fire station. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of um, fan service in there. I think for people who um, are big fans of the original, there's lots of nods and winks. Not least of all, you know, the cameos. Well, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that I've seen quite a few reviews lately of Ghostbusters popping up, and people are really angry about this film again. And I'm not sure why. I mean, lots of people... I think because it's now quite freely available to stream and places, isn't it? There are lots of uh, copies available for yeah. people to download. There's lots of... I don't know whether it's just because of that that the people who avoided it in the cinema because they were furious that their childhood was being ruined and all that bollocks uh, are now finally giving it a go or what. But I, you're right, it's just absolutely absurd it's a fine movie really there's nothing you know terribly wrong with it it's just a decent ensemble comedy yeah it's like like you said it's fine it's an okay film it's (coughs) does its job um and Mm. if it if it was an original idea then there wouldn't be any near as much grief no but um I mean, it made me laugh a lot at, at times. It, it made me laugh more than it made me roll my eyes, for example, which is, you know, how I sometimes judge comedies. Yeah. I think everything with Chris Hemsworth was hilarious. Sort of him poking his own eyes because he hasn't got lenses in his glasses and yeah. stuff like that. That, I, yeah. No, I, I, I was, agree with you on that. It was, but yeah, it looks like they'll probably make a sequel, which is fine. Um, Mm. But I, yeah, like I said, I, I just don't get the the fuss, and I didn't at the time either. It just seemed ridiculous. We've just got the one film to review in a new release section this week. That is Get Out. Is this one a horror, Rowan? <laughs> well, it's hard. It's again, it's hard to judge. I kind of think yes, but it's more of a socio-commentary. Yeah, I don't know. What would you say, Tony? Yeah, I I don't know if it's a horror film as such. I I think it it sort of straddles a few different areas, I think, yeah. I think it's definitely definitely Mm. a, a social commentary. There are elements of horror. I suppose you could put it in the horror genre, but it's as much a psychological creeper, creeping sort of thriller as well, more than mm-hmm. anything else. It's a real mix, really. It straddles a few different things and, you know, arguably a very, very, <laughs> pun, in- pun not intended, black comedy <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it, the only benefit it's going to have to pulling it into a specific genre is for who's who would you recommend this to? And I, don't, I just don't think it's a horror crowd sort of movie. Um, mm. By horror crowd, I don't mean, you know, the Fright Fest horror crowd. I mean people who would go and see 
uh, Insidious 3 and want to be, you know, made to jump out of their seat. It's not that kind of horror. No. Um, but it doesn't really matter anyway, because it's a, it's a very good film. Very good. I know you enjoyed it a lot, Tony. I Five star for me. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely mm. fantastic. I really did. It, it It's just, for, for a debut piece of work, it's astonishingly good, really. Yeah, I thought it was terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's written and directed by Jordan Peele. I think this is his directorial debut as well. Yeah, actually. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who we mentioned earlier, and Alison Williams, who um, are a couple who go to... Alison Williams is white, by the way. That's very crucial to the plot. I'm not just pointing that out because Daniel Kaluuya is <laughs> black. I'm saying that is integral <laughs> to the story here because Daniel Kaluuya uh, goes to her family's house, meets her parents for the first time and is a part of a big family and friends get together where he's made to feel very uncomfortable because they are very white and he is not. That's all I'm going to give yeah. you for the plot. I'm not going to say more than that because it is all about the mystery, Yeah, I think. I, f- I found it a little bit predictable. I kind of twigged exactly what was happening quite early on. And I was a, l- a little bit disappointed that I guessed it. But that's, you know, that's not the film's fault. And really, I should have just sat back and gone with it instead of going, oh, it's a mystery here. What's this about then? And tried to figure it all out. But um didn't lessen my enjoyment of the, the, the film because it all plays out just fantastically well. Uh, characters are spot on, I thought. Um, Daniel Kaloya, who I really like anyway. I've enjoyed him since, well... He was in uh, Black Mirror a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, probably my favourite episode of that, 15 Million Merits. That was amazing. Um, and I can still remember him as Parking Patawayo in Harry and Paul. That was That's a really bad <laughs> reference. <laughs> really? I don't know why that always sticks with me, yeah. Parking Patawayo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it says more about you, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I can just remember that. Um but he's, he's very good. I think he was in Sicario as well. He was. Yeah, he was her partner, wasn't he, in Sicario? He was, yeah. Uh, but again, he's a British actor, British black actor. This is the thing we were talking about at the start of the podcast with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, complaining. I just think he just fit the part really well. You wouldn't know. You, you, you wouldn't know no, necessarily that he's British. You know, I mean, if no. you didn't know that, yeah, it doesn't really matter, to be fair. Yeah, he fits mm-hmm. really well. He just does does the whole thing fantastically well. What I want to get at, without revealing spoilers, um, Tony, is what did you think of the mystery element of it? Were you, like me, second-guessing it, or did you just run with it? Well, I mean, partly, mm-hmm. and I will, I will say this as a warning, avoid the trailer, because yes. the, the trailer actually gives a lot of this away. And uh, which is a which is it's a shame because it's actually quite a good trailer in terms of mm-hmm. mood and feel. And I remember c- watching the trailer and thinking, "Oh, that looks great!" You know, they've really set that. But at the same time, it does sort of give a lot away. Um, but at the same time, I think it's one of those films where you know something's not right. And even though, yeah, you are you are trying to second guess it, I suppose, and you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. It's not a film that's a. It's not an M Night Shyamalan. 
really. No. In the sense but, of... Although that, it does have a, a, that kind of vibe at times. Yeah, yeah. in terms of tone, yeah, I think definitely mm. it, it has an element of that. But in terms of there is a big twist at the end, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's more just the natural sort of payoff to what has been going on from the very beginning. This, the, you know, which it, it, it is going down the rabbit hole, really. This guy sort of goes down a rabbit hole in more, more ways than one, I guess. And he... Mm-hmm. Um, he, he kind of discovers something that's that's happening, which it, we don't want to spoil, but it, it is something that actually <laughs> I can talk around this. I'm going to do it. There is yeah. something that um, that touches on what really Jordan Peele's getting at with the whole thing, which is about it is about race, it is about um, perception, it is about you know what's what's underneath what you see, you know elements of reality in a way as well. He's playing with a lot of that stuff. Yeah, there's things like it's very bluntly saying, look, you're asking questions that you haven't really thought about. Like, for example, like quite literally it has the um, a Japanese character ask the black character what he thinks about being a black American. Is it an advantage or a disadvantage in modern society? Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. just like, it's awkward to watch it. But then it comes back to this black, comedy thing that you mentioned because it's so like um cringeworthy it, you can only laugh at it yeah because really, it's, it's it's so awkward <laughs> yeah but yeah it's a bit absurd just, it, that's exactly it yeah yeah precisely it's yeah. a bit absurd but that's the whole point the set yes. the, the idea is that he goes into this extremely white world where everyone is trying a bit too hard to be cool around him and mm. you know there's, there's one scene like with bradley whitford's really good as her dad um who he's going at pains to, to to explain multiple times that if obama had a third term he would have voted for <laughs> it. You know, i would have voted yeah. obama i'm not i'm not a trump guy i like black people you know and they and there's this one scene that has this dinner party full of the whitest middle class people you mm-hmm. will ever ever meet in anywhere and they are all going, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, you're, you're very, very fit, lots of good stamina, lots of good genes, you know. And, oh, yes. I like I like the Obama and all that. And it, you, sit, you are sitting there thinking. It's in vogue now to be black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Being black is cool. You know, it's cool. Mm. We're, we're cool. You know, we're cool. We like yeah. black people. And it is that whole, it plays into what's actually going on as well. But it is that, the, the underlying thing of. If you're trying that hard to be cool around a black person, you're clearly not cool around black people. You don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what's really good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's that social commentary, isn't it? I mean, you can't watch this film and just take it as a thriller. I would say. I think you'd have to be pretty um, stone deaf to any kind of relevance or context to i mean that'd be, that would be quite an interesting experiment really is to just play it maybe 15 years down the line to someone who's no idea what it is and see if they get it yeah. because i think it's very contemporary and it works now particularly well because of the climate that it's yeah. being released into um i would be very interested to see what it would be like to sit down and watch it with someone in 15 years who would be, I don't know, 17 years old at that time and see what they think. It just depends t- what world we live if in. If they can unpick it. <laughs> you know, well, that's true. I mean, you, if, you know, we're in a very, if we're in Trump's America because he's turned himself into a dictator and can't be, <laughs> you know, foisted yeah. from his seat. then um, If, we, it's, if hmm. our world has basically become the man in the high castle, 
then you know <laughs> that it will be different. But no, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point. It is the good point whether you can enjoy it without the social commentary. I I would argue you can. I mean, it's 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 well directed. It's very well written. It has a real skillful balance of creeping you out at one moment and then subverting it with a really funny joke the next. And there's mm-hmm. one character in particular, a guy um, who plays uh, Daniel Kaluuya's best mate, who is hilarious in a role that could very easily have been really annoying in that kind of over the top. You know, Eddie Murphy at his worst black guy, but he's not. He, he's, he's, he's extremely funny because he, he positions himself to aware of the absurdity almost of what's going on and whenever he's on screen he's coming out with such truth and such of obviousness that you're laughing along with it and you're thinking yeah this is mental you know mm-hmm. and that's that's what's really good about it it knows what it's doing and it doesn't it doesn't get lost in it up its own backside at any point but at the same time yeah. it, it makes a really really interesting point while also creeping you out more more often than not yeah, and yeah. everyone in it is just really well cast as well. I think. So. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I thought Caleb Landry Jones was great. Very unhinged yeah. and uh, yeah. So he's the brother, um, whose name I've forgotten. But um, yeah, he was very yeah, good. He's, mm. he's yeah. He's always a bit bit like that. And uh, Stephen Root was great. Yeah, he's, he's good great. Though. He's he's great in anything. <laughs> Stephen Root. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just lots of really interesting character actors. Um, mm-hmm. Catherine Keener as well as her mom is very good in a really important role to be fair in the story um, yeah the hypnotist who m- tries to make him give up cigarettes basically yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, think, I think we've done a very good job here of actually talking around what <laughs> uh, yeah I just thing. don't know whether we've uh, whether, well you've, you've done a very good job at selling it I don't know whether people understand I did really like this I thought it was very good um, mm. I I am very keen to see it again as well. Yeah. Uh, just to because I I just reckon there's just so much stuff cleverly interwoven into the mm. middle and beginning of well less so the beginning probably but definitely the middle part of the film to set up the conclusion that you just you, you would only be able to get it you'd only be able to unravel it if you, if you already know what yeah yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I just think there's going to be so much that's intricately mm. built into it. So I'm very keen to to do that and just just marvel at the clever script because I even watching it without knowing all of those little things that are in it, you can still see it's very carefully constructed. Yeah. Um and and bloody well written screenplay. Oddly um, oddly original in a in a in a way that a lot of lesser filmmakers, a lot of would would wouldn't have done. He manages to take something that is, yeah. He manages to make a really interesting original idea, and that mm-hmm. yeah, that's not easy to do these days. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Okay, but that's uh, that's all for the chat on Get Out. Nearly all for this week's podcast. Um, we... Time for us to get out. Get out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm. Um, and do some recommendations before we go. Um, so, Owen, what are you going to recommend for people? I had to look through the TV guide. It's just fuck all on, is there? Over the next week, there's nothing. I the the bottom of the barrel of scrapings that I could just get together was uh, Fury, David Ayer's film mm. starring Brad Pitt. Exactly the same as what I was going for. But then, like that's that's on Channel Five Friday at nine pm. But it's also on Netflix anyway. 
So, I mean, uh, so I'm just going to say Carnage, Simon Amstel's mockumentary okay. I talked about earlier on iPad. Well, I'll say Fury then, either on Netflix if you've got it and save the adverts or on Channel 5 and mm. put up with the adverts. Uh, Tony? <laughs> I'm going to go for a left field one, which I watched um, earlier today, mainly because I'm listening to the Projection Booth podcast and it's the next one that's coming up. It's uh, a documentary called uh, I Am Divine. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a it's on Netflix and it's about the uh, about Divine. I'm not sure everyone anyone everyone knows who Divine is. Divine was created by John Waters, essentially um, the filmmaker who made Hairspray and Pink Flamingos is the big film that Divine came out of. And it's this this guy who becomes a drag artist and creates his character called Divine. And it it's very much about that journey. And you know, it talks a lot about the um, the, the counterculture age of the 60s and 70s and 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 lgbt and, and a lot of stuff while telling this you know quite bittersweet story really of this guy um and he's, he's very good very I, I knew literally nothing about this before i went in to watch it and i and i enjoyed it so i'm looking forward to listening to the podcast on it but yeah that's on netflix check it out hmm. okay oh I, i'm just going to take over this recommendation section very briefly just to ask, has anyone watched Iron Fist, Immortal Iron Fist yet? No, no I'm not. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in any rush from what I'm hearing. No, I've heard it's very average. But I went, I, I do want to watch it because I enjoyed the comics by Matt Fraction whenever they were released, 2010 or something. Um, so I want to I give it a go. Uh, but to do that, I've kind of forced myself to go back to Luke Cage. Oh. And... Yeah, I mean, I stopped after two episodes yeah. before. I was like, I'm just not enjoying this. My my brother, my younger brother, loves it. He, he, I think he thinks it's the best Netflix one that they've done. Um, so I was like, I can't see that. I don't understand why you would say that. And I've gone back to it, and the writing is very ropey at times. I mean, the it's frustrating, in fact, because they do stuff like killing off the most interesting character to make lesser characters more interesting but then those characters are still not as interesting as the character anyway so they just keep doing stuff like that which is very frustrating but actually aside from that i've played through it quite quickly i'm really i've really got into it now so i can sort of see like towards the end of the season it's definitely peaked and it's made up for some of those more boring episodes but you know i was just wondering if anyone's watched immortal iron fist can they tell me whether that is worth bothering with? Because mm-hmm. I I just don't want to commit like 13 hours of my week off to watching something that's going to be cack. So at failed critics on Twitter, please. Is Immortal Lion Fist any good? It, okay. it, it, it is it is worth it alone, I will say, for the News Thumb article, which, which crapped me up the other day, which was uh, people disappointed that, Iron Fist isn't a sequel to Fifty Shades Darker, which I loved. <laughs> uh, for that alone. Anyway, that is it for this week's podcast. So thank you all for, for listening and continuing to support us. Thank you, Tony, for coming on the podcast. And Owen, what have we got next week? Uh, Power Rangers, probably. I can't remember what's out God. next week. Is that King Arthur thing out? Guy Ritchie's film? I hope not. No, it's um, Lost City of delayed? Sea. Lost City okay. too, I think. There we go. Yeah. And I can't remember who's with us. It's either Brian or Callum or both. Um, yeah, we'll see. 
The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Are you there, Steve? <laughs> Steve? He's still mm. there's still that little that little sort of thing, you know, when it's like the what the what the dial up, that little Oh, is it still going? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. for me anyway. That's yeah, normally gone. It was there, so. It's out in the back quarters of Swanage. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, they only had fire, just Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have the man with a cable run it across his wagon and plug it in the other end. <laughs> yeah. Way across town. Someone's using the dial-up, pulled up everyone. <laughs> Oh, he's not here, yeah. It doesn't matter, it's still recording. I might play it back to him. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.